Welcome to CEF Insights, your source for closed-end fund information and education brought to you by the Closed-End Fund Association and available on our website at www.cefa.com. Today we are joined again by Tom Rosine, Head of Research Services with Refinitive Liver and author of the Fund Market Insight Report, which provides in-depth monthly commentary on the closed-end fund market. We're happy to have you with us today, Tom. Good to be with you, Diane. Thanks for having me. Tom, you recently published your report for June 2021, which covers over 600 closed-end and interval funds. How did investment markets generally perform in June, and what was the impact on closed-end funds? An interesting month. It started out pretty good. Everybody was elated with the uh, global reopening of the economies. Uh, the Fed came out and committed to you know, keeping monetary policy pretty easy. All the, the borrowing going on, it was going to continue on. And they said anything inflationary was probably transitory. And it went pretty well throughout the month, especially after we got a Goldilocks, I will call it, May non-farm payroll report, which basically kept investors engaged. I mean, this is where we saw you know, a report of about 559,000 uh, new jobs, and I say new, but just jobs in May created in the U.S. economy. But analysts expected 671. Well, that was good because it wasn't too low. It wasn't too high. It was just perfect. And a lot of people thought the Fed will probably keep to that easy monetary policy because of that. I mean, we saw inflation tip its head quite high. I mean, if we look at CPI, the consumer price index, it was up 5% uh, on a year-over-year basis in June, uh, which was the highest and fastest in 13 years. But you know, investors basically took the Fed at its word, saying, you know, okay, they're going to keep rates low. And, and so they kind of started the party. So the interesting thing that we can take a look at is certainly the Fed governors on the uh, FOMC board, that's the policy setting committee, basically changed their dot plots, indicating that we'll have two hikes in 2023. Originally, if we recall back, they said that was not going to be changed until 2024. And in fact, one of the St. Louis presidents uh, basically came out and said, hey, I could see rates of hikes as early as uh, 2022. So there was some hiccups during the month. But another thing that investors had to be concerned about was oil hitting a two-year high. And, And the reason I bring this up, it's going to play through to performance of closed-end funds as we go here. Basically, we saw near-month crude oil prices rise at 73.47. Again, that's an over two-year high, a 10.78% change for the month. But ironically, after all this happened, we saw the 10-year Treasury decline by 13 basis points. That certainly doesn't sound like the bond market is, is thinking inflationary issues. And this turned out, again, it closed down about 1.45%. We haven't seen that for a little while. And this turned out to be a tailwind for tech stocks, but a headwind for financials and anybody else who is really playing the reinflation trade. So that lost a little momentum. But how it broke out is if we take a look at it, the NASDAQ did pretty well. Again, techs were in favor. Again, the interest rates went lower. But we, and so we saw the NASDAQ rise about 5.49. The Dow was slightly negative, about minus 0.08. How that played through, though, if we take a look at this, is in June, the average equity closed-end fund had a 1.34% return. It's certainly not bad. I know we're used to seeing these four and three and you know, 2% returns. 1.34 annualized, that's a great number. But if I take a look at Q2, it's even better. The second quarter of 2021, 6.89% for the average equity closed-end fund. And year-to-date, they're up a whopping 13.89%. Now, if we take a look at fixed income funds, they're not up as strong, but again, we wouldn't expect them to be for June up 0.85%. For Q2, we're up 3.18%. And we saw that for the 
first half of the year up 4.36%. So overall, really a good start for closed-end funds. And actually, the market in June was certainly pretty good. Your data breaks out closed-end funds into over 20 classifications. What classifications were the best performing for the month and which sectors struggled? Well, let's take a look. And, and by the way, I didn't give you any market uh, price returns. Usually we'll talk about that. But I'm going to stay on the NAV-based returns here. I think that's probably the most pertinent that uh, people could take a look at. So if we take a look first at the macro groups, we saw on the equity side, mixed asset funds actually did the best. It's the first month at eight that mixed asset funds did better than the other uh, cohorts. Domestic equity funds just slightly behind 1.65%. And world equity funds struggled a bit just rising 0.03%. That's, again, this is the idea of the re- reflation, reinflation or reflation trade was actually off. People went back to techs. I won't say the stay-at-home stocks, but certainly the tech, tech run was certainly in play here. And so when we take a look at this, we see that once again, for the third consecutive month, Energy Master Limited Partnership closed-end funds did the best, 4.82%. Against the third consecutive month, they've been at the top of the list. Entering in, in May's laggard, convertible security closed-end funds actually did the second-best return, 3.33%. And it makes sense. We had interest rates go down. We had markets hit new highs. And it certainly played into the convertibility of convertible securities. The other piece, and this is back to that uh, idea, energy and oil did well. It's up over 10%. Natural resources funds was the third-best performer, up 2.34%. At the bottom of the barrel, though, we did see developed market funds lose about 1.83%. And again, this is the idea that, uh, first of all, the dollar strengthened, so there was a little bit of uh, exchange trade uh, issue going on, causing a little bit of a decline in in return, but also uh, the idea that there's still some concerns about the Delta variant of the COVID virus and the like, and so there were some concerns out there. Now let's take a look at the fixed income side. So for the first month and four, we saw domestic taxable bonds rise to the top. People were in favor of of, of world uh, last month and the month before, but Domestic taxable bond funds were up 0.89%. Muni bond funds just right behind 0.83%. And world bond funds fared a little bit better than their equity counterparts if you're taking a look at fixed income versus equity. But world bond funds were up 0.66%, so just about uh, under uh, under a whole percentage point. But basically, people remained yield-focused. So corporate debt triple B-rated funds, these are kind of the funds that, again, they're a little bit higher quality. People are still going for yield. But for the first month in 15, they were the top performers, up 1.43%. Their leveraged equivalents, the corporate debt, triple B-rated leveraged funds, were up 1.35. And high-yield munis was the third best-performing category on the fixed income side, up 11%. Uh, I'm sorry, 1.11%. And emerging market hard currency debt funds actually lost a little down 0.37%. But the story that we've talked about in the past, munis were on a roll, fourth month in a row that they've seen plus side performance with all nine classifications in positive territory. So that was the story uh, with the macro groups and the individual classifications. Is this a change from what you saw earlier in the second quarter? It is. We saw that the second quarter really had more of what I was calling the reflation trade going on. So we saw techs kind of take it on the chin. We saw people moving towards commodities, um, you know, infrastructure-related pieces. Uh, financials were doing better because, you know, we were getting interest rate hikes out of it. So we did see a little bit of a change of pace. And uh, certainly that is uh, something that we're going to keep an eye on. So this month, I won't call it unique, but a lot of people were going back to the tech issues, you know, going back to the stay-at-home stocks for the cliche uh, term to be used, and paid less attention to the value-oriented plays and the other issues that were out there.
Do you expect these trends to continue into July and August? I do. Again, I think the reflation play will come back into play here, though. I think that people are going to pay attention to what the House just passed, and certainly if they're hoping the Senate will pass it. Keep in mind the uh, infrastructure bill was something that even uh, Trump was in support of and the Republicans and now the Democrats in charge. I think they can, you know, find a common place there to do that. So I think we're going to see more of that reinflation, inflation uh, trade going out and basically paying attention to those type of plays that are going to get the most out. So we're going to see maybe commodities, you know, natural resources, you know, maybe even some of the basic materials uh, do a little bit better, but I do expect it to go. But of course, one of the things we got to keep a look on is that while techs have done really well, they could continue on, but uh, real return funds are something I would pay attention to. And then certainly if we take a look that inflation is transitory or not, uh, we're going to have to pay attention to what's happening in the bonds. We see a big uh, increase in uh, inflation or the treasury yield really climbs. We could have some problems in the bond market. The way closed-end funds trade in relation to their net asset value is an important consideration for many investors. Did you see any specific trends in premium discount behavior for June? Well, we continued on to, uh, you know, another good month for uh, decline in uh, the discount uh, to NAV. So basically we saw that on a market basis they were trading the average uh, closed-end funds saw a discount narrow or improved 38 basis points to 2.42%. That is much better than the 12-month moving average that we saw at 6.48%. And just so people know, I, I use the word median in this case. So median is what we basically take a look at to get rid of the outliers. There's some big funds that have some huge premiums, huge discounts. We use the medium, but we are using a moving average on that number of 6.48. So 2.42 is absolutely uh, outstanding. If we take a look at the average closed-end fund equity, so the equity fund widened a bit, about 18 basis points to 4.33%, still a very respectable number. And then we saw the average fixed income closed-end fund narrow about 66 basis points to 1.52%. We haven't seen it that low in quite a while. How do current premiums and discounts compare to their historical averages? So I'm not going to go way back because I said for quite some time, you know, that 1.42%, that is just really low for years. But let's go back to just a time period that we've seen, 12-month period. So if I take a look at all closed-in funds, I don't care equity fixing, we combine them all. In June of 21, this month that just passed, we saw a 2.42% discount. Now, if we go all the way back to July 2020, it was at 8.72. And to put this more in perspective, we have 149, as of June 30th, we had 149 funds trading in premium territory, while 308 were at discounts. If we take a look at that in July of 2020, it was 74 trading at a premium and 405 at a discount. So we've seen a big change. Taking that one step further and taking a look at the equity and fixed income equity funds this last month, 4.33%. A year ago, 11.96%. Fixed income funds, 1.51% versus a year ago, 7.2%. So it has been a really complete turnaround. And some people might say, maybe that's just over exuberance going out there. But certainly we're seeing a very deep narrowing going on. And certainly I'm sure all closing fund investors want to keep that going, obviously. But uh, it's been a big change. Which sector saw the greatest change? 
So I said equity funds saw a slight increase during the month, and basically domestic equity funds were the culprit. They saw the largest widening of their discount, um, a worsening, if you will, 112 basis points, but only to 2.90%, so still very good. Single-state munis saw the largest narrowing, about 139 basis points to 2.93%, all of them very respectable numbers. Tom, equity markets had a good second quarter. Economic growth has rebounded and interest rates remain low. But there are some concerns about the potential for inflation with the degree of economic stimulus we are seeing. Are there sectors among closed-end funds where investors may find particular opportunities given where those funds are trading relative to their historical averages? And how do you see the direction of the markets? So this is one of the areas that I think everybody, it's, it's a million-dollar question for everyone. You know, does, does the Fed come out here shortly? Uh, certainly we know that they're going to be having uh, their normal Fed meeting at the Jackson Hole. It's their economic policy meeting in August. So we'll be keeping a, a clear eye on that. Uh, but when we're taking a look at this and looking at kind of historical trends, if we believe that inflation is going to continue on, if we believe that there's going to be infrastructure spending, some of the sector equity funds have some unique positions. There's some real asset funds out there. And when we talk about real asset funds, you know, obviously there are the, the funds that you know might have some commodities or gold or might have oil, but they also have machinery that can be used in uh, infrastructure development. So that's something I think people are going to be uh, taking a look at. Uh, funds that have you know a focus or uh, you know, uh, holdings within the basic material areas, I think they might uh, have uh, have a chance here. And certainly, if we see a little bit of rise at the long end of the curve, which again was just the opposite of what happened, and we saw the long end of the curve actually go down and flatten the whole curve. Uh, but financials could become more important as well. And I think people saw that the stress test that the Fed did uh, showed that uh, certainly the financials, uh, the banks out there are in good financial positions. So that's an area. Two other areas on the equity side I think that are interesting uh, looking at, and again, this is uh, a lot more risk, but a lot of people have been talking about the developing markets, uh, developed markets and emerging markets didn't really participate. If we see the emerging markets, we see oil and gas and natural resources and those materials doing better, certainly could be a play have to do some deep research in that. And the same with the developed markets. So we've seen a recent rise in, you know, let's say the FTSE, you know, uh, you know, the London Stock Exchange and some of the more developed countries. But they didn't participate the way U.S. did, so we might see some plays there. For those undecided, though, there's two areas that they could take a look at. Option strategy funds are something that have historically, at least during this rally, not done as well as some of the other equity groups. Uh, in fact, for the quarter, the group is down, or I'm sorry, up, but only about 6.12%. For instance, Energy Master Limit Partnerships, up 19 0.02 for the quarter. So they didn't participate in this most recent rally, and they use uh, covered calls, and they're also buffered funds, building in some declines while you can still participate on, on the upside. So those would be interesting to take a look at. And on the fixed income side, if you anticipate that we are going to have some inflationary fears come ahead of us and, and see it, loan participation funds still could have some opportunity to shine, along with global income funds as well. Tom, you also follow interval funds, which typically offer a limited quarterly liquidity to investors. How have interval funds generally performed in the second quarter of 2021? Well, they uh, actually didn't do as well as they have in the past. You know, we've always said, said there was kind of a 50-50. This time, if I take a look at the numbers, the numbers are pretty starkly different uh, when I take a uh, look. If, if I look at, and, and this is a little bit of an apples to oranges comparison, but if we do take a look at the um, actual returns, we saw that interval funds returned about 3.65% on average, where if we take a look at the conventional uh, closed-end funds, they were up about 5.51%. Uh, but that's because we have 
areas, for instance, like energy master limit partnerships, or, or let's even go to one, natural resources funds, up 10%, 10.99% for the quarter. But there are no interval funds in the natural resources space. So that you know, what I was giving you is kind of a, a mismatch and not a great way to be able to take a look at them. But if we do take a look at the categories that we talked about in real estate funds, for instance, there's 33 interval funds, nine conventional uh, closed-end funds. Basically, they underperform considerably, about 4.29% for the average interval fund that's in the real estate space versus 1.39%, 1139 I'm sorry. So there are were some big differences, but most of these are, are, are pretty small, to be honest with you. If I look at loan participation funds, Interval funds were up 2.12%, while their conventional counterparts were up 2.74%, so we were really close there. Income and preferred stock funds, 4.52% versus 4.98%. One area that we saw that was actually a, a pretty big outperformance was in the global income category, and it was 7.51% for interval funds versus 3.28%. So that was quite a difference that we saw, but I will have to say that is because of one fund with four different share classes. Remember, these are interval funds, so they're structured a little bit uh, like the conventional fund with share classes. And while I'm not recommending this at all, I'm just pointing out that this is why they outperformed. Basically, we saw Blue Bay, Destro International, and Event Driven Credit Fund. They're different share classes take the top four positions in that category for the quarter. So again, no recommendation here, but just pointing out the fact that they outdid. So interval funds didn't do as well as they've done over the last several months and quarters, as we've talked about. But certainly, uh, again, this is just one period of time where they underperformed slightly in most cases. What asset classes or investment strategies do you believe offer the most interesting opportunities for interval fund investors in the current market? The global income funds, I think, is an interesting, uh, interesting one. Again, I, I would be cautious on this. Remember, the blue, and again, this is, this has to be because it's, uh, that classification is is made up of those four, or actually, should say, that classification for interval funds is only made up of one fund: the Blue Bay, Destro International, and Event Driven. So, if you kind of like that, if you will, alternative type of fund, that might be something to get into. But the other the other side is if we take a look at it, when we're we're worried about the inflation rearing its ugly head again, loan participation funds certainly is a big space in this group. So interval funds is about 26 loan par interval funds versus 27 uh, conventional funds. So certainly that is something that I think people keep an eye on as well. Tom, thank you so much for taking the time to join us today. You're welcome, Diane. Thank you so much for having me. And we want to thank you for tuning in to another CEF Insights podcast. For more educational content, please visit our website at www.cefa.com.